listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we are discussing the third Dio studio album, Sacred Heart. Released on August 13th, 1985, the album would be the last to feature Vivian Campbell on guitar, but would find the band building on their rising fame with songs like Sacred Heart, Rock and Roll Children, whose video received a fair amount of airplay on MTV, and the song Hungry for Heaven, which also appeared on the soundtrack for the movie Vision Quest. The album cover would feature a rather cartoonish illustration of a dragon, affectionately known, named by the band as Dean, along with a Latin inscription around the border, loosely translating to, along the border of dreams, I found your poisonous heart in golden door. The band's increasing fame also brought an even more over-the-top elaborate stage show featuring lasers and the smoke-breathing dragon Dean and his sacred heart on display for all the adoring fans. Although audience attendance was strong for the tour and album sales doing well, all was not happy within the band and Vivian Campbell would be fired before the second leg of the tour would commence. Different stories as to why Vivian was fired would be told, but all of them revolved around money issues. Guitarist Craig Goldie would join the band mid-tour as Vivian's replacement. Having played in the Wendy Dio-managed band Rough Cut, he was already a friend of Wendy and Ronnie and was the obvious choice for them to replace Vivian. A VHS video from Craig's first tour with the band would be released titled Sacred Heart the Video and show the band in their stage show in all its glory filmed at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Before Vivian would part the band though, he would take part in one last recording project with Ronnie and 40 other Meadow musicians called Here and Aid. The project was organized by Ronnie, bass player Jimmy Bain and Vivian and would go on to raise money for relief in Africa. The video for the song Stars is a fond metal memory for many a metalhead as it features the all-star cast of singers and guitarists recording their parts and hamming it up for the camera. All right, Darren, uh, Dio, Sacred Heart, what are your memories and thoughts on this album? Uh, I was really into it when it came out. I waited for it like the previous two. And um, upon first listen, it uh it hit the mark uh i liked it listened to it a lot at the time um remember going to the concert at the philadelphia spectrum um i don't really recall what month it was but it was it was warm enough to to ride in the back of a pickup truck all the way from i guess it's probably about a 45 minute drive from our neighborhood to the philadelphia spectrum my friend drove and a bunch of us packed into a back of a pickup truck and, and rode there. It was a lot of fun. And it was a great concert. It was, you know, back in the 80s when concerts were a major event. There was a lot of things, a lot of social activity going on outside as as well as inside when you walked in. You know, you might see friends and people that you knew and everybody 
kind of met there at this concert, but he talked about it for months beforehand. And it was a big event, um, especially for, I guess I was 17, especially for a 17 year old. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. But the music of Sacred Heart pretty much followed in succession to uh, last in line, more or less. Um, like I said, I liked it a lot. It, it didn't disappoint. There was there was nothing about it to, to dislike. It it seemed like it was pretty much by the numbers what what you would want to hear from the follow up to Last in Line. Um, starts off. I mean, we're going to go through the song by song thing like we normally do, but this album isn't any different from the previous two, where there's nods to former things that Dio had done. But I think that this, again, as from the progression from Holy Diver to the last in line, and I think the last in line was really Dio coming into his own. I think this album was a step beyond the last in line. And it was Dio becoming very comfortable as Dio, the solo artist. That's the impression I got at the time. And he was really well-established, very comfortable, um, and I think at this point, at least as far as my recollection, I think his popularity probably reached a similar uh, similar standard that, that Black Sabbath had in and around that time or, or, or even before. I think Dio had definitely reached a level of popularity that rivaled his uh, his former band and you know you couldn't could not be happy for him i mean he, he was kind of like the hero he was sort of like he was the the guy that spoke for us all you know as as teenagers and, and i'm sure he was at least 35 probably pushing 40 but he seemed to really understand yeah uh how a teenager would feel and and, and how and how we did feel we, we you know a little bit of alienation a little bit of frustration of being that age and and not being able to, to do what you wanted to you wanted to be an adult but you really weren't ready but you kind of wanted to have the freedom that an adult enjoys and and uh and, and i think he kind of understood that and it was it was apparent in the lyrics and sacred heart and i i think that really began but it really took took hold on uh last in line but it definitely uh it progressed into into sacred heart so yeah, my memories of this album, it represents a time in my life when it was the end of the, getting close to the end of the teenage years. And, and uh, it was sort of a sort of bittersweet time. Friends would soon be going off to college and, all, you know, high school graduation and, you know, all the, the tight knit friendships that we had would, would soon end and kids would go off to different schools and things like that. So it was sort of in and around that time. But as far as the music itself, yeah, I, like I said, I, I liked it. I, it. It's not one that I've really, uh, I, I don't really listen to it a lot. And mostly because, you know, there's a few songs you hear on the radio and, and I think they got overplayed a little bit and um, maybe got a little bit burned out on it. Uh, so it isn't a Dio album that I reach for very often, if, if at all. I don't have any problem with it. It's just not the one that jumps out at me. Usually it would be Holy Diver, or Last in Line, or maybe even something later in his career, Strange Highways or uh, 
Magica or, or something like that. So that's where I am with it. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm like you. I, I When it first came out, I, I was totally into it. Uh, I, I loved this era of the band. I still do. It's my favorite lineup for the Dio band, Vivian Campbell. I've always liked his guitar playing. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast with the passing of Randy Rhodes. I kind of felt like Dio and Vivian were... Uh, I, I could get behind them and, and root for them. Not that anyone could replace Randy, but I just, you know, I, I liked the chemistry of the band when the album came out. I did like it, but there is an interesting, uh, I think for me, it felt like Holy Diver to the last in line was a big step in production and, and everything where Sacred Heart kind of felt like it was more of a linear uh, move. Like it didn't really have, I liked the album, but it didn't jump out at me as, as much as Last in Line did. And I don't know if it was starting to be an age thing that I was, you know, I think back to around this time and that, you know, the next podcast uh, we're going to do, I think is going to be Seven Star. And, uh, Black Sabbath and that would be when the cracks started to form in Black Sabbath for me and although I, I like Sacred Heart it is an album that I don't reach for a whole lot it's my least favorite of the first three uh, Dio Vivian Campbell era albums and I think part of it is is just because it, it does kind of feel like a sideways step for the band and as we get into the songs we'll we'll talk about this but side two runs out of gas a little bit for me you know the last like two songs on it or so aren't quite as it, it feels like it, it, the first part of the record feels a lot stronger to me than the than the second part of the record does i i especially do not like the ending song shoot shoot it's maybe one of my <laughs> i said just if, if you saw us on video you'd hear you would see darren is laughing it's uh it's definitely my least favorite song from this era of the band and it's just a a really uh low energy way to end the record and Dio's known for really great album closers even going back to Black Sabbath you know you've got Lonely is the Word and over and over and Egypt and Shame on the Night and then you've got this sort of throwaway song Shoot Shoot yeah but so it kind of it felt kind of strange like there's some songs that I really like on this record I I like Vivian's playing on the album but it felt like in some way, some of the songs weren't, didn't jump out at me as much as the songs on Holy Diver and Last in Mind did. It felt like they were maybe kind of retreading familiar ground. And, and at this point it's starting to uh, maybe wear itself a little bit thin. Uh, when you hear the backstory behind this, I mean, as a young kid, I didn't know the backstory behind this, but as time goes on, Time went on, you know, you hear the story behind the record and the band was very unhappy. Uh, some of the uh, all for one, one for all vibe had sort of left the band and it was a strained sort of difficult album for them to make. The money issues, as I mentioned in the introductions, start becoming a thing. 
here and it's really straining the relationship between Vivian and uh, Ronnie. And I think you can feel that a little bit on some of the songs on here on this record. But hey, when I was young, I was just happy to have another Dio album. Uh, it, it felt similar to me like Last in Line, not as good as Last in Line, but I was happy to have it and, and I was into it. I wish that, you know, I'm always envious when, when you talk about seeing these bands live. I, I think part of it for me, I, I lived in a very rural area and I was two plus hours to Philadelphia. And, uh, there was no way on earth my none of my friends were into this type of music either. So there was no way on earth my dad was going to drive me on a weekday, you know, two hours to Philadelphia for him to sit in a, in the car while I went into it to a concert. So unfortunately, I never got to see these, you know, all these bands that I loved right around this this time frame. Uh, but it's an it's an album that I like. And yeah, like you said, I do sort of have fond memories of it. I was 15 at the time when this came out. I was 100% into heavy metal at this point. Dio was, you could turn on MTV and you were seeing Ronnie's videos a lot getting played quite a bit. Uh, the video for Rock and Roll Children, I remember seeing that all the time. Uh, well, maybe talk about the here and aid and the stars song that was getting played. So you're seeing a lot of Ronnie and the band, the Dio band in magazines and on MTV and everything. And, you know, this is, this is a point 1985, 1986, where metal is really peaking in mainstream popularity, whether it's on MTV or the whole, uh, you know, satanic panic thing is, is off the rails. So you've got all it's it's heavy metal is public enemy number one at this point, which just endeared it to the young metalheads like us even more. But it's a fun album. And I have I, I do have fond memories of it. Maybe it hasn't aged quite quite as well. And like you, I don't reach for it quite as often as as I do last in line in Holy Diver. But got fond memories of it and I was I listened to it a lot the last couple of days getting ready for the podcast I don't know also I've been watching uh, the new Stranger Things season four I don't know if you've seen this yet but there's a character in it uh, who's a who's a straight up metalhead and he spends the whole uh, this whole season with a denim vest with a Dio patch on the back of his vest <laughs> so that's had me thinking about Dio the last couple of days also. But uh, yeah, an album I have good memories of, but for some reason I can't really put my finger on it. I, I just don't find myself uh, revisiting it uh, very often. So The Stranger Things, I, I, I think I watched the first season and part of the second and I lost interest in it. But what I, I did hear that the recent season is really good and it does have this character that's a metalhead and you mentioned that jacket supposedly that jacket was something that they actually got from the dio estate that, that oh right has, has yeah if you, if you look it up it was on a couple different online news articles blabbermouth or loud metal or something like that <clears throat> but yeah that was something that uh was procured from the uh from the dio estate yeah which um, is which is cool and uh, there's also a lot of Dungeons and Dragons references, which of course, you know, makes me think about again, this, this whole time frame 85, 86, when parents were scared of Dungeons and Dragons, when parents were scared of Dio. And like you mentioned, you know, Ronnie, 
uh, we talked about this with the last in line too. Ronnie often his lyrics, you know, they sing to to the fans. We rock, stand up and shout. We're the last in line, and you get this on this record too with rock and roll children. You know, yeah. where it's this sort of uh, he's singing to the to the outcasts, to the forgotten people, to the throwaways, to the you know, which as a young metalhead you can relate to that because especially at this time in history, you know, metal was this really like you if you were listening to heavy metal, you were an outcast, you were involved in you know Dungeons and Dragons and all this other stuff that parents were you know frowning upon at that time, and Dio was kind of like this. Uh, uh, elder statesman, this 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 guy, like it, it's okay. He sang for us, you know, rallying the troops. You know, you could always count on Ronnie, even though, uh, you know, uh, you often associate Ronnie and the band Dio and Black Sabbath with like darker lyrics and darker themes. Ronnie had this way of also being very very uplifting. Uh, with with his tone and with his spirit, you know, and I mentioned the song Rock and Roll Children, the song Hungry for Heaven, the lyrics in that are all kind of very like, go for your dreams, you know, sounds like he's like a motivational speaker, <laughs> almost, you know, in that song. So you also get that vibe. And it reminds me of that era and watching Stranger Things really sort of brought up those memories of when it was really like a kind of a rebellious thing. And I remember the other kids at my school that were metalheads and Dio fans. And it was just kind of like, oh, you like Dio too? Yeah, man. You know, and you felt like you were part of this select group of, of people, you know, it was something that was frowned upon by mainstream media and everything, but we knew better, you know, and Ronnie knew better and <laughs> everything. So yeah, it's, 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 it's fun memories of more innocent uh, times and more innocent days. Well, for me, it was a little bit different because I had, I had gotten away from mainstream metal and I was, my friends and I were driving to Lemoore in Brooklyn and we were seeing uh, underground. We were, thrash metal concerts and things like that. We had already seen Voivod and, you know, we'd gone to Lemoore's and <clears throat> we'd seen King Diamond on the Fatal Portrait Tour with Megadeth prior to uh, Peace Cells coming out. And then the year before that, we had seen Slayer on Halloween. So we, we were, were getting away from the mainstream metal, but of course, you, so I mean, the thrill of that, the whole, you know, like for me and, you had mentioned that, you know, Dio represented the rebellious metalhead. Well, <laughs> to me at the time, the, the Dio, the kids that were like mostly listening to Dio and mainstream metal were, were mostly the kids that you'd find in the mall just kind of hanging out. Whereas, you know, my, my friends and I were planning our next trip to go see an underground concert, either at City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey, or, or the Ritz in New York City, or, or more in Brooklyn. So we had and like I said in one of the earlier podcasts, as far as like just an over an overall thing about heavy metal and my experience was once I started listening to heavy metal, it was like the race was on in a way to get to the next level of heavy and just keep moving up because just it was so satisfying and such a release to listen to heavy metal that it was almost like, and I hate to use this as an example, but it was almost like a drug where you, you need to get like the next to the next level, you know, the next yeah. high and moving up like, okay. So it starts with something as simple as, uh, 
let's say Ozzy, and then from Ozzy, Maiden, Priest, uh, Metallica, Wasp, and you get into a little bit of the glam. And then here we were in underground thrash and listening to crossover and hardcore and stuff like that. So that that's that was my main interest at this time. And maybe that was one of the reasons why I didn't really embrace it or I did wasn't really feeling it as much as maybe some other younger people were at the time because I know it was a successful album I mean at least by all indications we did go to the concert we weren't going to miss Dio and even though we had moved on and this wasn't like the most exciting form of metal anymore it was still something that was close to our hearts and near and dear and we hadn't turned our backs on Dio and 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 the groups and the artists that we felt had more integrity there were some that we had kind of turned our backs on we weren't really uh listening to motley crew or rat anymore because they were posers <laughs> you know and uh we were beyond that but dio wasn't a poser dio had, had integrity and everybody could rally around a dio concert it was something that you know was was still pretty cool um so i but to me when you said that um dio represented the uh disenchanted or the misunderstood metalhead i could see that uh but if you were just a year or two older it went deeper than that i think that for me that and my friends and i it was almost a kind of like a sentimental thing and i think dio really it was more than just being a kid that was into dnd or into you know being into heavy metal it was more about being at an age where you weren't, you know, it's just typical adolescence. You weren't, you weren't a kid anymore and you weren't an adult. You were sort of like in between you. Like, like I, like I said, we were all graduating from high school and going off and life was starting to get real. You know, we, we weren't kids anymore where our whole world centered around what new album was coming out or what t-shirt we were going to get up and wear that day. Um, now things were starting to turn to becoming an adult and uh and around that time i think dio's lyrics really spoke to that side of us uh, where rock and roll children especially now i'm hesitant to get too far into it because i we like to do that on our our track by track but that was that was one of the songs that i think had more validity as far as some honest uh putting forth an honest statement <clears throat> across in this album there like you said, I mean, it, it does sort of just sort of sputter out towards the end. And there's some things that just kind of sound like he's going through the motions. But there are definitely some real poignant, valid moments. And, and Rock and Roll Children is one of them. And that when I say I don't reach for this off this album very often, and it's true. But when I do, there's certain songs that trigger an emotional response. And, and that's one of them. And it is it is kind of a special album for, for that reason. I I think that it, with Dio's career as a separate issue, I think that things started to kind of wane. And I when I re was reading Dio's book recently, and and I really expected that when he got to this point of the band, that he would say that there wasn't much inspiration, or that the band was not really into it because of the of the cracks that were that it were starting to form prior to this but the the foundation basically crumbling i really expected him to have more of a bleak recollection of this album but 
ironically, he, he speaks of it really fondly and, and very, very triumphantly almost when he talks about how it was a major milestone for him to have this dragon. And I yeah. remember looking at that dragon both times I saw him and just <laughs> laughing at it because it was so mechanical and like, oh, my God. And, yeah. and his final tap had already come out, you know, so it's like if you if you weren't aware of how heavy metal at, at a particular point in time during the 80s be, began to become somewhat of a joke, if, if you weren't aware of it at that time, then you know, there really was no excuse for not being aware of it three years later when you were starting to get these props and things. Where, I mean, I, 1984, I, I saw Judas Priest on Defenders of the Faith and they, they had this, this uh, yeah. replica of the thing on the album cover and it was kind of cheesy then. But it was, you know, we were young enough to be able to be like wowed by it. But watching the dragon come out and, and then him with with the sword and everything it was <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous but so he spoke of the album really really pretty triumphantly and and and, and seemed pretty satisfied with it he, he liked the songs um he did you know mention that the band the the camaraderie had sort of dissipated where people were coming in they were doing their parts and they were leaving and he said that was somewhat of a disappointment but overall i think he seemed like he was pretty content with the music with the content of the album and the direction of the album and even the way that uh the concerts were they had a bigger budget they were always putting money into the budget of the stage show even like with uh last in line they, like with every cent they had went into making that the spectacle that it was and it was it was really cool it was very effective this followed suit and it was, you know, kind of an upgrade or progression in the stage show. But the, the, the dragon for me was a little bit too much. Um, but aside from that, it was it was a really enjoyable concert. I mean, you know, whatever problems there were within the band seemed to kind of be put aside, at least for the hour or so that the band was on stage. And and the first time I saw him and you and I talked off off record about this uh, i was pretty sure it was with vivian campbell and definitely the second time was with uh craig goldie and i was disappointed that the vivian campbell was out of the band but i was i was familiar with craig goldie only in i i didn't know that he was in rough cut at least he wasn't on the first rough cut album um but he was on the jeffria record which was some really very timid aor I'm going to say hair glam. I am hesitant to use the word metal because it really wasn't metal, but they had an MTV hit with call to the heart. Do you remember that? Do you remember that video? Uh, David Glenn Isaac oh, yeah. was the singer. Yeah. And man, it, it, well, I mean, the, the band featured the former keyboardist from Angel. Yeah, so it was very keyboard heavy. It was very keyboard AOR. heavy. Yeah. But not cool keyboards, not like cool John <laughs> Lord keyboards. <laughs> like These really were soft keyboards, Cindy, textural, yeah, like real was, mellow, soft yeah. keyboards. So I, so I didn't really know what to expect because I, I knew that he came from Jeffrey. And he, he was actually the one when I, when I saw the video, I'm like, oh, that dude looks pretty cool. He looks like he could, looks like he's, you know, in this band, but he really wants to rock somewhere else. And uh, <laughs> so it was cool to see him in Dio's band. Oh, yeah, man, I let this guy loose. Now I can really rock. And he came out and he had like the long wizard sleeves and stuff. Yeah. you know he was like he was getting into it you know and, and and it was he had a good visual he had good stage presence more or less he wasn't very animated but he had a cool look about him 
uh, Vivian, of course, was was far more animated. So that was that aspect was sort of lacking. But um, most of it was just like looking at the new guy, just looking at him, you know, and looking at how he was dressed. And, and he sounded cool. So there was no complaints at the time. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, as, as far as getting a little bit of the history, it, you know, when we talked about how things had already kind of started to come to a head in and around last in line where there are promises made during Holy Diver that were supposedly were supposed to have been fulfilled in and around last in line and they weren't. And, you know, it's a it's a situation that's probably not as as bad as Sharon Osbourne, but it is similar in some ways yeah. where Wendy was very business oriented and, and, and I, and I don't, from what I understand, from what I've read and, and, you know, taking it from a lot of different sources and not, not the least of which was actually even Dio's book. If you read between the lines, um, there were some promises that were made that were, were legitimately not fulfilled. And, you know, if somebody makes you a promise and they tell you that at a certain point, you know, the, the structure, the financial structure is going to change and, and this is what's going to happen. And then you look forward to that and you, you know, you take for, for granted that they're going to keep their promise. And then you get to that point, you get to that goalpost and then it moves and then it moves, you know, a few different times. And then finally you're at a point where you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, it isn't so much like, well, the impression I got was that Vivian didn't come to him and all of a sudden get a big ego or, become full of himself and, and give himself too much credit. Basically, he was just following up on the things that were more or less, and not just him, but the other members of the band. I, I know Claude yeah. Schnell was in a similar situation as Dio mentions in his book, where yeah. Claude came to Dio and said that he had an opportunity to join Foreigner. And uh, Ronnie negotiated with Claude and kept him in the band. But um, unfortunately, Vivian's method was a little less successful. He had a lawyer contact Wendy and Dio and say, uh, if Vivian doesn't get, he, finally, after several attempts, I'm assuming, and, and pretty much the way that it, it sort of plays out, the way that Dio describes it, after so many attempts of saying, hey, are we going to do this now or what? Vivian went to a lawyer and the lawyer contacted Wendy and said, if Vivian doesn't get this amount, then he will not be touring with the band. So... <laughs> Uh, it, it's funny how they look at it and they say, well, then that was him quitting because yeah. we're not going to do that. So he essentially quit. Uh, but it yeah. sees himself as being fired because they just, he didn't come back. They didn't meet his demands. And I, I, I don't know if his demands were on, on, on the same level as what he was promised, but Dio does say, you know, this is a business and, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's there's a business side of rock music and that's just the way it is. And that wasn't my department. That was Wendy's department. And, and if anybody came to me and they had a had an issue with money or, or something, well, I would send them over to Wendy. And then the impression I got from that is like, I didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. I just wanted to be creative. I'd let Wendy do the dirty work. And she definitely did because she made promises to keep these guys strung along for a period of time where they could be, you know, very prolific and and in contributing to, to, you know, their parts of the band. Um, but when it came down to it, we were going to make sure that we had our own best interests at heart. 
and these you know and i, I felt yeah. kind of bad for him because it that, that's how it plays out even though he you have to read between the lines but it, he, he basically admits a few times during the the course of the of the part of his book where he's into a solo career and he's very loyal to Vinny. Vinny stuck with him they were good friends um you know I'm, but i mean jimmy had his own issues and uh yeah, it seemed but, like they, they all did at, at one point or another yeah. it was just that vivian was the most outspoken one and usually in situations like this when you hear two stories like this usually the truth is somewhere somewhere in the middle and you know when it comes to things revolving around money it's people <laughs> we all know from all aspects of life uh you know things can go sideways and like you said uh there's there's a lot you can you know vivian has been pretty open about this in the last mm, let's say 10 years or so and you can find some really interesting audio interviews with him on YouTube where he sort of gives his side of the story, which was basically when they started this band, they understood that Ronnie and Wendy were taking out their own money to finance the first album, uh, Holy Diver. And that Ronnie, you know, let's face it, Ronnie was, he, he had built a career, he had an established name. So, uh, the band was going to work for less to get this thing off the ground. And the handshake agreement was that down the road by the third record, uh, they would renegotiate basically. And Vivian's thing was that, well, you know, they weren't getting the band, meaning the musicians, you know, Ronnie was getting the merchandise money, was getting more royalties and stuff like that and uh when it came time like you said that uh you know then he was dealing more with wendy i think than he was with ronnie whereas in the beginning you know maybe vivian was dealing more with ronnie then as time went on and there was more money involved and you know you hear vivian always says well i was getting paid is when we went out on tour the sound man or the light man was making more money than me. Wendy Dio's uh, response to that is, is that's because Vivian was on a salary and he got paid whether we were on tour or not. So yeah, when we were on tour, the sound man might've been making X amount of money, but he was only making that amount of money three months out of the year for that five months out of the year or whatever. So it's, as in all things in life, whenever money gets involved in something, you know, it's like things get, yeah, people get, people get upset and it's really, it's a money is, is a thing. I, well, you mentioned Ozzy and Sharon, that's, that's to go, you know, that you could do a whole podcast on people who have sued Ozzy and, all the all this stuff relating around money and and ozzy and the same thing is sort of happening here with uh with vivian you know to vivian's credit when you hear him talk about it now he often says that well you know, it when he was fired from the band he, he had a lot of hard feelings he wasn't able to listen to this music again for quite some time and he said some things in the press he shouldn't have and he kind of felt like ronnie probably did the same and no, he he like, did. 
Yeah, if, if you know, there's a famous video of Ronnie signing some autographs outside somewhere and somebody asks him and about Vivian and he's, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says some pretty, you know, harsh, he has some pretty harsh words yeah. uh, for Vivian and, you know, and Vivian to his thing when he, after he left, he pretty much dumped all over, not only Dio, but this type of music, you know, heavy metal. It was like he almost wanted to, distance himself from heavy metal and there's still a lot of fans to this day who haven't been able to forgive Vivian for you know the way he's distanced himself from that not just distanced himself from it but sort of mocked it in a lot of ways and made it like you know this is silly type of music and that that type of thing you know he sort of uh, put put heavy metal down in a lot of ways and there's a lot of fans still haven't been able to forgive Vivian for that. But when you listen to him talk now, you know, he says that if Ronnie was still alive, he feels that they would have been able to get together, go out for a few drinks, go out for a curry, which, you know, Ronnie and them loved, and that they would have been able to, to make amends. And I think Vivian feels now later in life, being older and everything and it looks back on it like he wishes he could have made amends and he wishes things could have been done differently. But again, when money gets involved in things and you don't have contracts and, you know, and one of his complaints was too, that, that Wendy sort of viewed everybody in the, that it was all about Ronnie, that yeah. everyone else was interchangeable. And I, I think uh, she never, and I agree with this. Vivian says this, Jimmy Bain says this, Vinnie Apice says this, that there was a chemistry with those, with that original Dio band. And uh, proof of that is in the fact that his best-selling records are the first three albums. And uh, if you hear and listen to the band, The Last in Line, which originally had Vivian, Vinny, and Jimmy Bain in the band. Jimmy would uh, pass away. And now Phil Sassoon, who played on Ozzy's Ultimate Sin, is in the band. But that original band, uh, you can hear that there's an undeniable chemistry there with Vivian, Jimmy Bain, and Vinny Apice. And, and yeah. then you throw Ronnie into that. And it seemed like according to Vivian, Wendy never saw the value in that. And uh, you can see that because uh, the, the quality of Dio's albums would start to, although I like Dream Evil, and we'll talk about Dream Evil on another podcast, you know, the, the quality of Dio's music would, it would never really be the same after Vivian, after Vivian left the band for me. So yeah. there's probably something to that, that, you know, and he would have sort of a rotating, his lineup would shift a lot and everything. But, uh, you know, yeah. I do want to comment on one, one other thing uh, you mentioned about uh, you starting to get into thrash metal and stuff like that. And although I wasn't quite as deep into the underground stuff, I, I was starting to hear that stuff too, as I think pretty much everybody was, you know, 84, 85, 86 now, Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, all these bands are, are showing up. And this is 85, 86 is the time when the sort of old guard, Dio, Priest, Maiden, they start to, I don't want to say fall out of favor, but thrash starts taking some of the spotlight away from these bands. And you think about the albums that Priest releases, Turbo, I think, yeah. in 86. 
which is an album I could give or take. Uh, and at the time, I, I, I didn't give it. I didn't like Turbo at that time, growing on me over, over the years. Maiden releases Somewhere in Time. And although I like Somewhere in Time, they were starting to do synthesizers into this. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. sort of the classic bands like Priest, Maiden, Accept, yeah. and all those bands. They were starting to sort of change. They were starting to lose some of their edge, to be honest with you. Yeah. And thrash metal was coming up and it was taking over, over the spotlight. And then you throw on top of it, you've got, okay, Vivian Campbell leaving the band. Rob Halford would, you know, last till 1990. There was discontent in the Iron Maiden camp when you get to the late 80s. So this sort of traditional metal stuff is is starting to fall out of favor. Thrash metal is, is, is grabbing the attention of, of the kids more and uh, Black Sabbath falls on difficult times, you know, starting around this time with, with seven stars. So it's, it's, it's a changing of the guard of, of sorts uh, in, in, the metal, in the metal world. And Well, I don't think it's because kids were being disloyal. I think that you have to, keep in mind that kids have shorter attention spans and they need a bit more stimulation than somebody who has more of an adult more refined musical taste uh, so and, and i've said this too about you know I, I i years ago i saw an interview with lita ford and a couple other 80s alumni hair glam whatever you want to call it alumni saying you know they're really they're really upset that the grunge came in and and stole their thunder and gr grunge killed our music they took it away from us it's like no no it didn't you started to suck to put it <laughs> bluntly they yeah. started to suck um Lita Ford, I was driving to work the other day and I was listening to Sirius Satellite, which I often do and I've referenced it before. It, it's pretty cool. It depends on who, who it is that's doing the show at the time. But uh, it was in the morning and they played some Lita Ford song. It was like something like poison, uh, swallowing poison. It was so overly suggestive. And I remember thinking, well, this is like 1986. Man, Kids don't want to hear this. This is this is not this yeah. is not exciting. This is not edgy. And it was just keyboards all throughout. It was like yeah. antiseptic production. There was nothing. There was nothing exciting about it. And you know, you put that in 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 context of the other things that were coming out that were like really captivating the uh, kids' interest. I mean, it was more exciting. It was it was you know, if it was about danger, if it was more about you know something that was trifling with you know some kind of religious type of thing or a cold or whatever i mean there was definitely that going on with the music of venom and slayer and stuff like that so i mean if you're going to stay if you're going to be in the game you got to stay in the game you know and and for judas priest to to do what what they did with turbo it almost seemed like hey man we don't really care what the kids want to hear yeah. We want to do something that we think is going to reach a broader audience. You know, we want to do something that's more in line with some of the uh, like the more keyboard driven techno type things yeah. that are coming out. You know, I mean, it was almost like turbo. And, and like, and like you said, them a little. Yeah. And like you, you know, said, success I mean, I, and fame. Yeah. 
I can listen to Turbo now, and I like it. I mean, there's some songs on there that, and again, I mean, I saw them in concert. We had a great time. <laughs> we partied the whole way there, and we partied the whole way back, and it, it was a lot of fun. But at the time, we didn't really like the album, but it was Judas Priest, so we knew we were going to hear Breaking the Law. We knew we were going to hear Victim yeah. of Changes. You know, we were going to hear some, some cool stuff in the set. But as far as what, and, and you also mentioned Somewhere in Time, which wasn't a bad album. Um, it was certainly wasn't nearly as bad as Turbo, um, but it was a definite mark difference in, in, in yeah. Maiden's attack. It was something that was, you know, you, you noticed that there was a bit more, a little bit more laid back and the songs were good, but it wasn't as exciting as killers or even like peace of mind or number of the beast or power slave i mean it was something about it that was just a little bit too sounded like we're kind of resting on our laurels and i think a lot of these bands started to do that and the minute you take your guard down if your audience is at an age where you know you are you have a propensity to be rebellious and, you know that that's probably the worst thing you can do because i mean they're going to go right to the next thing and that's what a lot of us did and and while dio didn't uh crap the bed so to speak as badly as judas priest did there there was definitely uh you know kind of a a more relaxed more refined less exciting less aggressive yeah. whatever keyboards you want to call it were, Keep, there were more keyboards on this record right around this time you know this is affecting a lot of people ozzy releases the uh the ultimate sin ozzy sort of getting glammed out a little bit it's starting to, yeah, it's starting and it, it's starting to sort of filter in with all these bands. And, and this is the time when you're right, you know, so thrash metal moves in. And even, even me, I was starting this, this is when 85, 86 is when before this Sabbath priest maiden Dio Ozzy could do no wrong. There was mm. nothing about them that they were, 100% on target for me, but this is 85, 86 is when I start going, really Ozzy, that outfit, you know, like in the shot yeah. in the dark video or, or is that keyboards I hear in Iron Maiden, you know, is yeah. that a synthesizer, you know, Priest Turbo, you know what I mean? It's just like cracks start forming in, in, in all my favorite bands. And although, you know, again, I think safe, we, if we talk about Turbo and Somewhere in Time and, and the ultimate sin, I think Sacred Heart holds up pretty well, but it, it was starting to cracks, cracks were starting to, to, to form for me. And with here with Sacred Heart, it 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 starts a little bit and it starts a little yeah. bit on the second side of this album for me. So, all right, shall we shall we jump into yep. the album then? Let's uh, dig into it here. All right. So after, after saying all that. I think that the album starts really, really strong. I've always loved the song uh, King of Rock and Roll. I think it's a great, uh, tons of energy. I love the fact that it, it's, it has the live crowd noise, even though the song wasn't recorded live, but it's it's got, I think it's a fun way to, to start the record. It has tons of energy. I love Vivian's guitar solo in it, just the whole riffing of it. It's just a classic, uh, high energy uh, deal opener. I mentioned uh, the band, The Last in Line, and I always find it upsetting that they don't do anything from Sacred Heart. And I always thought, you know, man, King of Rock and Roll, that would be the song for them to do 
you know, from this record. And I've heard them mention that people have requested that numerous times, but as we've already talked about, this album has bad memories for, for these guys. So I think they don't, they don't want to go anywhere near it, but King of Rock and Roll is great. Uh, Dio is fist in the air, you know, devil horns flying, guitar all over the place. Love it, man. Killer, killer opening track. Great, great kind of deep cut, uh, deep cut Dio song too is he did play it live on this, on this tour, but I don't think he ever after, after this tour, I don't know if he ever played this, this song again, but I was, I just always loved this song. Fantastic song. Yeah. It's a great opener. Um, It reminds me, it has a a rainbow feel like something off a long live rock and roll kind of has that vibe for me anyway. Uh, But getting back, you, you, you talked about, um, the last in line, the band a couple of times, and it's going to take a few minutes to talk about them as well. So that was, yeah, that, that's the classic deal lineup of Vivian Campbell, Jimmy Bain, Vinny Apice, and this is pretty much from this album back is, is what that band's all about. Andrew Freeman does a great job, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm, I'm actually more fond of their, well, I won't say I'm more fond of, but I'm very fond of their original material on both the albums so far. I'm looking forward to a third album. Um, I, when I first heard about the Last in Line band, I thought it was kind of a cheap cash grab. I thought, oh, okay. So the guitar player that can't stand Dio, that pretty much, you know, crapped all over everything that he, that he did back in the 80s, which we hold pretty sacred, is going to do a, a tribute band. I, I was really, I, I did not think very fondly of that. Uh, but then after reading some things and, and understanding that it wasn't so much you know, a tribute to, to Ronnie James Dio, the man, it was more of a tribute to the music and, and what those musicians put into it. And then I, I got it. I'm like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Sure. It wasn't all about Dio. I mean, it was largely, large part of it was, of course, Dio's vocals and Dio's lyrics and probably Dio's you know, vision behind the concepts and things like that. But, you know, these musicians were just as much a part of that. And this is their way of like, basically keeping, keeping that music, this music alive. Dio, Dio at that point was gone. And so, I mean, there, any chance of a reunion, even if maybe things were not looking very good as far as the relationship between Vivian and Dio, but we kind of figured, you know, you had mentioned that, that Vivian, had said that you know at this point we probably would have you know made up or we would have probably you know patched things up to some degree it wasn't going to happen at this point so so it was so from that perspective these musicians coming together to celebrate this music and to just at least not let it die which i appreciate um but then when i heard the 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 original material and i realized that you know (laughs) It's not all about playing these old songs. It's about these guys can still make music. And I, I really liked Andrew Freeman's vocals. Um, so when I saw them, I saw them, I guess, probably about four years ago. Um, and I was really, really enjoying the original material. And then, so I was like, well, in my mind, I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm sure they're going to play some Dio songs. And that, that'll be cool, but I, I, I don't really care because I, I hope they just play. I think they could just play all original material and I would really be into that. But then they started playing the Dio stuff and Andrew Freeman, who sounds so different normally from, from Dio, the way he, his delivery of those songs 
with the inflections. He just sang them the way that they they should be sang. He didn't try to to imitate Dio. He sang them in his natural voice, but he sang them the way that the melodies were on point, the inflections were on point. Everything that you you want to hear on on record was the way that that he sang those songs, and they sounded fantastic. So. I just wanted to say something about the last line because it is kind of relevant because this is the band. This is the last time this band would, would be on, on record. And so it ended here, but then so many years later, these, these three guys, Jimmy only for the first album, not for the tour. He passed away, unfortunately, before they started the tour or at least before I saw him anyway. Uh, but it is cool that the legacy at least lived on, came together after everything had happened and whatnot, and formed this band. And it was, it's really pretty cool. But uh, so moving into this album. So, yeah, King of Rock and Roll, like I said, it kind of it definitely starts off in, in traditional fashion. Dio was always could always get a an opening song that would get your blood pumping. And, and this is one of them consistent with things you know from albums that he's done before. Uh, we rock, you know, uh, Neon Nights and the Sabbath, and, uh, Turn Up the Night, uh, yeah, Stand Up and Shout. You know, this is this is the song that kind of corresponds with with that sort of al- album opener mindset. So, yeah, kicking things off pretty cool. All right, then we have Sacred Heart, the title track, and this Another really good song. I think it falls in the tradition of Dio having strong title tracks. Uh, you go back to even with with Black Sabbath, you know, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and uh, I like the feel of it, like the tempo of it. Uh, but, you know, something that occurs to me as you as you were you were talking there, and I was thinking about even King of Rock and Roll, and maybe the issue that I have with this record. I really like the song Sacred Heart. Do I think it's better than Holy Diver or this, do I think it's better than the song Holy Diver or the song Last in Line? No, I would put it as number three. And that's kind of the feel on this whole record is this like Sacred Heart, good song, but not quite as good as Last in Line, not as good as the song Holy Diver. And so even King of Rock and Roll, if I had to really think about it, do I like that better than We Rock or Stand Up and Shout? Is it a better opener than those two? I'm not sure, <laughs> you know? And so this album kind of has a lot of that, that feel to me where I like these songs, but they're just, it's, it's not like I can honestly sit here and go, yeah, man, the song Sacred Heart, that just is just, better than the last in line is better than holy diver it's a real step up you know from from what he's done before uh, so it just kind of comes across as like it's a cool song but it's uh, maybe doesn't live up to the title track uh lofty title track standards that dio has set uh up to this point same thing with king of rock and roll it's it's it's, it's cool but uh, Dio has pretty set a pretty high bar for album openers, and he's he's set a pretty high bar for title tracks. <laughs> so Sacred Heart, like the song, like the lyrics, uh, like the feel of it. So for King of Rock and Roll, I I think that <clears throat> it's almost it's almost unfair because I think it is a great opener, and I could hear King of Rock and Roll on the last in line. If you if you replaced yeah. We rock with King of Rock and Roll. I don't 
I think that'd be okay. Yeah, I could hear that now. And then you could put We Rock. I, actually, maybe We Rock even fits better on this album. So maybe theme because it kind of has that sort of, for lack of a better word, that kind of cheesy quality that you know, going from song to song, uh, is sort of a recurring <laughs> aspect of this album. Um, Sacred Heart in. Dio refers to this when he was reflecting on this album and saying how good he thought it was and how it was really like creatively it he thought it was really really valid <clears throat> that he compared he's like Sacred Heart to me just as good as Holy Diver and I was trying read that I was like whoa wait a minute now <laughs> I don't know about all that uh, and it's not nor is it as good as the last in line. But, you know, you can see that it, I mean, there's these, a lot of these songs are, well, some of them are just, they don't really correspond with anything. And and we'll get into that. But there are a few of the the highlights of this album that parallel previous songs. So Sacred Heart, like you said, it, it does have similarities to The Last in Line. Is it as good? No. It, there are some similarities to Holy Diver. Is it as good? No, but it's not bad. And it, right. it, it's worthy of, of a respectable Dio song. It's a respectable Dio song and has the imagery. It, you know, it, it you know, it has the, the DOS qualities about it. You know, in fact, this album, I think, was what Dio was really, maybe this album was what really established. Dio as the slayer of dragons prior to that I don't think there was much there wasn't really any of that going on in Holy Diver Dio was still carrying over like the you know the the black priest kind of you know Sabbath identity and then moved into kind of a Sabbath rainbow hybrid sort of thing with Last in Line it was more about the music and less about the image this album was really it seemed like this is where the image started to really like you know yeah take flight and this is when you know dio as the the dragon slayer this is the album that kind of like established that yeah and we have to there is sort of a spinal tap-esque quality to some of this you mentioned the, the the mechanical dragon at the show and even as a young kid i remember looking at the cover of this and maybe it's just one of these like uh you know you look at a certain picture and you can see different things in the picture uh <laughs> I can't, every time I look at this album cover, it looks like the dragon has this like ridiculous goofy grin on his face. Like somebody, like there was another picture there and somebody painted over that to make it look ridiculous <laughs> and stupid. You know he does I mean? not look fierce. No, he looks no, like- it looks like he has like this sort of goofy kind of grin on his face or something. And I remember even as a kid, the hands look cool. And I like the idea yeah. it's supposed to be a- you Crystal know, ball, crystal cool. ball and everything. Yeah. But man, it's just, you know, that, that yeah. dragon in the face on him just looks like- He's, he's holding the, 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 I guess it'd be the sacred heart, which is- Yeah, but it looks like a- it looks like a Rubik's cube or something. Yeah, or something. Know, <laughs> it's it's yeah, but it looks like they may have chosen the wrong artist <clears throat> for this. They maybe should have gotten somebody like a Ken Kelly or something. You know, so yeah, yeah, fantasy it's, it's artist. Real. It looks like I mean, while the artist is is really good, and like you said, the hands and the crystal ball and and the um, like the runes or whatever the whatever writing that is. So, 
um, is all effective and it looks pretty cool. It, it, it looks like it was, they may have gotten a guy that does like children's storybooks. Or something. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that, that was, maybe they thought, Oh, yeah, well, you know, we can do that because children's storybooks are enchanting and army yeah. enchanting <laughs> qualities as well until you see the outcome. And it's like, yeah, maybe enchanting wasn't <laughs> the right move. <laughs> and clearly, um, with regard to the dragon on the album cover, it 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 wasn't. But um, you know, it didn't bother me that much when I saw it. I'm like, yeah, it looks like Dio to me. It looks like a Dio album cover. It's got a dragon. It's got his logo at the top. Sure enough, you know, that's a Dio album. So it didn't disappoint. But uh, yeah, looking at it now, you're right. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of silly. But anyway. All right, uh, so next we have Another Lie. Uh, good song, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the feeling with, with some of the songs on this record. It's like, I, I like it. It doesn't, doesn't jump out at me as anything super, super special. Uh, catchy, I guess it's got a catchy chorus. It's got some nice riffing in it, but it's a song that's maybe a little bit forgettable. This is actually one of my favorite songs off this album. I really liked it. That it was the one that caught my attention, and probably I would pick the needle up and put it back to this song rather than going all the way back to King of Rock and Roll or or back to the beginning of Sacred Heart. I would often land on this song. I, I, I like the riff. I, I like the vibe of the song. I, I like the way that it moves. It's it's cool. It's got a little bit of a raunchy guitar riff. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's one of my two favorites on this album. So uh, it's a little different from other things that he's done, and it seemed like to me when I when I listened to it, I, I pretty much took for granted that this was probably mostly Vivian's contribution with Dio writing lyrics and, and a melody that accompanied it. I don't think this would have been one that maybe Dio had the musical vision for. That seems to me to be more of a guitar driven actually it's credited to, to, to uh to just dio is it well wow. yeah surprising. surprising because you're right it is kind of like that name <laughs> sounds like a guitar you know a riff written by a guitar player but it's actually credited there's only two songs on the album that are solely credited uh to to dio which is this one and the song we're going to talk about next which you know just an, an interesting aside when people are talking about when you hear this whole discussion about money and everything there's a very interesting youtube video audio youtube audio interview with uh craig goldie and they ask him about this feud that vivian had with ronnie now though he doesn't really get into it too much he he does say you know there's a lot of things that people don't understand when it comes to money inside a band. And one of the things he talks about how is if you look at the credits uh, for the Dio albums, it always says all lyrics by Ronnie James Dio. And then there's a separate credit for the music. So in this case, another lie, the lyrics are credited to Ronnie James Dio. And then the lyrics, uh, the music is credited just to Dio. So Craig's point was, is that when you're uh, divvying up uh, publishing money, uh, melody lines and lyrics get a 50% cut. Yeah. So Ronnie's off the top taking 50%. But then when you have like, for instance, King of Rock and Roll, 
You've got uh, Vinny Apice is credited as, as for music. Jimmy Bain is Vivian Campbell and Dio is credited for writing the music. So now the remaining 50% is being divided amongst those five guys, you know? Uh, yeah. So there's, you know, when, when Craig's point was, is that, you know, when, when, when people see things like this and they say, well, why don't you just split it all evenly or trying to understand where people are coming from. And you hear this all the time where bands talk about where publishing money becomes an issue. D. Schneider, for instance, talked because he wrote all the music in Twisted Sister. Nobody cared that he wrote all the music early on. They were happy that he did it. Well, when the royalty checks started coming in and he started getting extra money because he was a songwriter and he's driving a more expensive car, living in a bigger house, like he said, all the other guys in the band started going, oh, wait a minute. How come you're getting all the right, you know, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue. And this is maybe with the Dio band, this probably happens in millions of bands where they start off, it's all for one, one for all. But then when paychecks start getting written and some people are getting more money than others, people start going, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, what's what's going on here? So just, just a little aside, if you're looking at Wikipedia or you're looking at the album and you're seeing the writing credits and it always lists lyrics, Ronnie James Dio, and then it has a separate listing for who wrote the music. This is why yeah. it's, a, it's a money thing. It's a business thing. And, and that's assuming that that's, accurate because we know from looking at bark at the moon that yeah ozzy wrote ozzy wrote bark at the moon right right he wrote the entire album um so who has control over what gets printed on the inside record label and who was actually a fly on the wall and knows what really happened really happened yeah. Uh, so yeah when you're talking about you know publishing rights and how you know somebody who has more rights to a song gets more money then it would probably be to your advantage to make sure that you make sure that you put your name on it. And, um, and he's the boss. And so who's going to challenge that when you probably, you know, you're up against his, you know, business savvy wife who probably has uh, at least a few good lawyers that she knows of that could probably crush whoever gets in their way. You know, that's the other part of this is that, you know um, it, you know, at the end of the day, it, especially at this stage in the 80s and at this stage in these in Dio's career I'm assuming that you know they they had a taste of what the fruits of their labor and they started out and they put their own money yeah. into Holy Diver and it was a sacrifice and you know mortgaged their house so that they could make it happen but you know they didn't do that so that they could continue to do that they did that so that they could get things established to hopefully get to a, a point in their career well where they would make money you know that you need to, to spend money to make money so that's what they did yeah. they spent their own money to be able to make money and then they got it to this point and then you know it's full speed ahead and then i guess as things developed and wendy probably got a little bit more savvy with regard to the business side of things and management and knew what to do to make sure that they could secure a, a pretty significant financial stake in the game yeah, and craig right talks about it, and the way we started out with Vivian, I mean, that really was why this band broke up. It was over money, yeah. you know, so Incorrect. money in all aspects, money as far as who gets what, when it's all said and done. And when. Yeah. 
place so you get more money and so on and so forth you know it's it's basically you know i mean and you know from from yourself and and i do too that when you know you you, you play music with with people and a lot of times this is different from band to band and it's different from individual to individual but a lot of times you know people get together and oh i have an idea and you present it and then you know you don't write it down necessarily you don't document it you don't copyright it you you get excited or you're thinking about something and you bring it to the table and then there it is and it's out there and it's it's fair game so maybe that's what happened maybe it didn't but like i said to me it sounds like a song that was written by a guitar player yeah it does uh, ronnie ronnie did play guitar he had you know command of the instrument uh, as far as bass he played bass um so who knows i wasn't there but anyway another lie Second favorite song on the album. I can feel it. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. All right, Rock and Roll Children. Uh, this is my other favorite song on this, King of Rock and Roll and Rock and Roll Children, probably my two favorite, maybe the title track being my third. Uh, love Ronnie when he's in storytelling mode, which I think he is here. We talked about how Ronnie loves to sing, uh, you know, the way he sings songs for, you know, the, uh, the outcasts and the downtrodden. Uh, in this case, it's the rock and roll children. Uh, I just think it's a very well-written song. Uh, I just remember seeing the video for it. I, I watched it again today just to jog my memory. And yeah, it's pretty cheesy, 80s, you know, 80s type of, uh, 80s type of video, but but it's fun. I love the melody line in this. I just think it's just great playing. I think it's just a very well-written uh, song. And uh, there's even a line in this where the uh, children of the night, I forget where he, how, what's around that. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, Poor rock and roll children, uh, the children of the night. He says this on his way out. I believe that he had a charity for some time around this this era that he called children of the night, which, which uh, you know, was for like homeless, raising money for homeless kids, something like that. But uh, love this song. It's, it's, it's a favorite from the record for me. Yeah, it, it is a good song. Um, it's got some dramatic aspects to it. It's, you could tell him that, that he's really, really leaning into it. Um, the lyrics are, are really good. Um, storytelling mode, which is uh, really effective. Um, kind of a soul-stirring song, you know, if you put yourself in that frame of mind, if you're, you're open to that and you listen to it and you really you open your mind and you get into the story and the vibe of the music and everything, the keyboards are effective. One of the songs, I mean, going from song to song, there's a lot of keyboards in this album, but I think they're pretty effective in this song. The Rock and Roll Children, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it to me, like I, I mentioned earlier, it, it, it's sort of about being at that age where you know like i said when you know some of us were you're not really a child anymore but you're not quite an adult and, and a lot of kids that i knew at that time were doing things that were pushing them into the adult area while some of us were going to college some of them were, were getting married and settling down and i just remember thinking whoa <laughs> that's that's too soon uh but this song you know it's sort of to me it kind of illustrates you know uh uh not being part of a of a parent situation where they where they 
or the kid, the rock and roll children are, are out on their own trying to figure life, what life's about and trying to live as an adult, but they're not really ready. And, you know, and really the, you know, it's the mindset of, of still being, having one foot in that rebellious kind of, uh, I guess, uh, situation. And, um, but they got rock and roll. And that also kind of resonates because the most important thing I think to a lot of us when we were like 15 or 16 was, was the music, man. It's like, yeah. come home, you come, come from school, you know, and you get so angry because of whatever happened or whatever. Oh, you know, but you still have rock and roll. Doesn't, doesn't understand me. They, they, they don't <laughs> parents guess. just don't understand. Parents just don't understand. Right. Well, yeah, in a way, uh, quote will smith the great rap the great rapper will smith uh but you come you come home to your room and you've got all your posters and you've got your records you know and it's music and man this is what it's really all about and this is where you this is your comfort zone this is really your home this is like home base this is where you you know you come back and you know you recharge your batteries and you listen to some dio or you listen to some ozzy or maiden or whatever it is that you know you, you felt like getting into at the time and it was so important and it was like i mean i speaking for myself i mean it it was my life you know our friend my friends and i we so we did we, we talked about music all the time and we go to concerts or we'd go to record stores i mean always in the forefront of of any activity was what are we listening to did you bring the tapes did you bring the, <laughs> the boom box you know you know you're walking down to the corner you had to have a boom box and a pocket full of tapes. You had to have, you know, enough tapes to sustain you for at least 15 minutes. Um, it was all about music. And that was the, it was a central character, you know, even in this song, it's like the rock and roll children, you know, the children that are, that are into rock and roll. It's their lifestyle. It's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's to, to they are. And it's kind of like resonates to me at that age. Cause it's kind of what we were too. We were rock and roll children. We were trying to, figure out what life is about and trying to be as independent as we possibly could and figure out, you know, what we could get away with and what was fun. And all the while rock and roll, hard rock was, was in the background. It was the soundtrack to all that stuff. So yeah, that song's kind of a, song's kind of a, a good memory. For yeah. Me. And the video, it's funny. The video plays right into all these it's, it's got all the, the tropes from, from that, that, that time, you know, you've got the girl and the, and the boy, they're running away yeah. uh, because no one understands. It's, it's got the, the, the dad yelling at them. It's got a teacher at school, you know, wagging their finger at them. It's got the jocks bullying them. It's just, it's got all the, uh, you know, and they're, they're, they're sort of your, uh, you know, the, the, the male character, he's got all these, uh, bandanas wrapped around his legs and his wrists and stuff like that it's like just totally totally 80s and it seems really silly now but you're right back then you know it really did feel like it, yeah it struck a chord man it was like, yeah that's me and dio's, and dio's watching the whole time in a crystal ball in yeah. a magic shop or whatever you know so all right, Hungry for Heaven, uh, you know, maybe this is the uh, mystery of, uh, you know, lines up with the song Mystery. I'm a sucker for big hooks, so I, I like this song. I think it's yeah. a fun song. It's got a huge chorus to it. Apparently it was originally uh, put on uh, this for the movie Vision Quest, which I never yeah. saw the movie, don't know anything about it. But uh, so, 
You never saw it? Never saw it. Uh, oh, okay. At least I don't think I have. Maybe it's just somewhere in the back of my lost amongst Top Gun and all those other. I know that this type of thing was popular at that time. Top Gun style, you yeah. know, movies and things like that. But yeah. uh, the song, so the song, uh, I read that the, the, the version on the soundtrack is different than the one on the album. And I listened and honestly, I couldn't tell any different. They sound exactly the same to me. Maybe a slight difference in the mix. I don't know. It's a fun song. It's got a big catchy chorus. I mentioned earlier, you know, Dio is sort of known for being this, you know, guy flashing the devil horns. He was in Black Sabbath and it's all dark and everything, but it's kind of surprising how uplifting and positive uh, Ronnie can be. And in this song particularly, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's some lines in here and I've lost them here. Uh, you know, you're a runner in the night, just a dreamer, but that's, but that's all right. right. Uh, uh, let me see here. Oh, here we go. Hold on. You can make it happen yeah. for you, for you reach for the stars and you will fly. I mean, you know, it's just Ronnie being. Yeah, but man, it, it's such a great thing. And he, he always had that element to him. You know, when you hear interviews with Ronnie, you know, he's, he's this guy kind of like, you know, live dreams can come true. If you just, you know, reach for the stars, stars. there's a rainbow in the dark yeah. out there, you know, you know what I mean? And uh, he always had that, that sort of side to him. And I always, I always liked that. And so this song, I like this song. I mentioned earlier that did I, you know, uh, Sacred Heart, I didn't like it as much as less. I like this song better than it's doppelganger mystery. So, yeah, no, I agree. I, I like this one. This one wins over mystery for me uh but the movie vision quest i only saw the movie because i heard that there was a dio song in it but the movie was actually pretty good it was matthew modine who um has been in a few things he was kind of in pretty much an 80s actor he was in a few things recently but uh i think he's semi-retired or something but he was a he was a wrestler in this movie and um there's one scene where they played the song in the movie and he um he's on a bus and the bus stops and if memory serves, it's been a long time since I've saw it, since I've seen it, but the bus stops and the door opens and it has that, that, that choir. Like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> then it kicks into the song and it's pretty cool. And he's walking, you know, he's, he's from a small town and now he's in the city and, and that song. And it, it works really well in the movie. Um, and the movie's good. Linda For- Fiorentino, I think is her name. She's the female lead. All right, All right I got to check it out because I'm confusing this with, what was the, the soundtrack, The Queen, not Flash Gordon. They they did another song, song for a soundtrack. Uh, Who did, Queen? Queen, yeah. It was, it's like a just upbeat song. It was on the... Uh, uh, I don't know. One Vision. Was that the name of the movie? One Vision? That's the name of the Queen song. I don't know. That was part of the movie too, but that was like a Top Gun, I think, rip-off movie with okay. airplanes and stuff. So yeah, no, nah, it had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. All but right, I'll have to look for Vision Quest because yeah, I, Vision Quest is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, you know, and some of those things that you, you know, that you, you you phrase that chorus look. Oh man, it, you know, I mean, as as jaded as I can be sometimes about music and about you know the sincerity of certain things. I mean, that gets to me. I. I, I love that. It, it, there's kind of a, a little bit of a sentimental attachment to that. It, occasionally, you know, I'll be driving and, and it'll come on um, to the iPod or, or on a satellite radio. And 
and it's it's a cool song i mean it, it kind of has a happy vibe to it and uh and the lyrics are, are good it's it, it's sappy but you know i mean i like it um and, and it's a little bit more the topic that the vibe the basic sentiment is a little bit more tangible than i think mystery mystery is is a mystery this <laughs> is i don't you know the lyrics are kind of vague it, it's, it's more about the um the vibe of the song and drawing your own conclusions or making up your own visual or your own lyrical attachment to the things that are sort of you know broad and spectrum this one's a little bit more a little bit more specific in a way and there's some key lines that you know i it does kind of get you yeah it's just a feel-good song and every once in a while i'm a good audience for a feel-good song so yeah, it's a feel-good song that takes it back to more innocent days that's that's sort of what always makes me feel like okay uh like the beat of a heart uh i like the like the feel of this one it's got a pretty heavy main riff to it uh i like the line uh there's a beast that lives inside you and it's screaming to get out like the beat of a heart uh so cool song uh good guitar playing it i like the part where it sort of drops down at a doo 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 you know and the guitar yeah. is playing like it's it's a little uh he starts doing his guitar solo so Cool song. I really like the main riff to this. This is one I think that they played live, uh, you know, from this album. I think the songs that they played regularly on this tour was this, Sacred Heart, Rock and Roll Children. And did they play King of... Yeah, King of Rock and Roll. They played King of Rock and Roll. But I always thought this one sounded good live. And Yeah, so they did uh, King of Rock and Roll, like the Beat of a Heart, second, second song, Hungry for Heaven um oh yeah and they did hungry for heaven too yeah. yeah sacred heart and then they did like that whole medley thing and uh yeah that's about it but that's a pretty good pretty good amount of material from this album uh, this is my second favorite song off of safe heart uh i think it's i think it's heavy i think it's something that could have been and it would sound pretty comfortable on on the last in line at least in my years it's one of the heavier songs it's more of a traditional older sounding dio song you know whereas you know we get into some more light-hearted you know twinkling keyboards and you know lighter aspects of the dio thing um this is a darker song it's a heavy song it's like more in line with what i would want to hear from this more of this on more yeah. of this type of song on this album um it's maybe the most sabbath like song yeah that main has a real tony iomi feel to it yeah so, okay but, uh, yeah. uh just another day now this is where the album starts to feel like it's running out of gas for me uh yeah i just think this song is it's okay. It's not a terrible song, uh, but it's just, it's a little forgettable for me. Uh, it's a little too melodic singing yeah. or something. I don't know. It just isn't, you know, here we are coming off of Hungry for Heaven, but for me, it just doesn't quite work. 
in this one and it's just a little middle of the road it's just it just doesn't stand out it's not a terrible song but it just doesn't stand out for me and when you have songs like king of rock and roll rock and roll children even hungry for heaven this to me just sounds a little bit filler yeah it, it does feel like it's filler uh, it's a little party rock in a way um I like the bridge. I guess you call it the bridge where it's just sort of like the guitar and the vocal. Yeah. Bass or drums in that one section. It's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it's the lighter fare. It's, it's a track that could definitely doesn't make or break the album. It's, it's essentially filler. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's not horrible, but it's not great. And that's the way I sort of feel about the next one. Fallen angels. Uh, not horrible, not great. I may say I even like Fallen Angels less than Just Another Day. So that's where, where this album for me, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the engine. Just yeah. sort, of, sort of all of a sudden after, uh, after like the beat of a heart, it's like the engine starts sputtering on Just Another Day. And, and now we're just, the engine is shut off and we're just yeah. coasting at this point in Fallen Angels. Again, it just feels like a song that, there's just nothing special about it. It's not a terrible song. Uh, just the mere chemistry and musicianship of these guys in this band. If they sang the phone book, it would still be interesting, but it just doesn't live up to, it just doesn't live up to the things that Dio has done before this in his solo band no. or with Black Sabbath. It just comes across as just being forced and when you hear stories of the band struggling and the creative inspiration not not being there like it was on the other records these last three songs are what i think of you know it just sounds like a song it's just uh, it's just forced these last three songs are, are pretty much why i was surprised that dio had such fond memories and such a high opinion of this album because it really sounds like this album demonstrates what a band sounds like when it's falling apart yeah. it's not, you know not altogether uh, a bad record like you know we keep going over but it does sound like it it like the, the train is like in the beginning okay it, it almost like and i'm sure the songs are, are written in a different sequence in the way they appear on the album most likely but uh, when you put the album on it seems like okay yeah it's time for a new record and the trains moving along choo 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 by the time we get to just another day, it's like, <laughs> it's going up a hill and it seems like it's going to start going backwards. And then by shoot, shoot, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just running out of gas. And it's, yeah. it's, it's funny because the album, I mean, most of the time when you're, when you're putting together a sequence for an album, you want to like, you want to keep in mind that, you know, you want to, you want to keep the listener's attention. You want to keep things you know, at, at, on an even keel, you know, you don't want the album to basically sputter out and that's exactly what happens here with the sequence of this album it's like you know let's put all our let's put the highlights up front and then put the the songs that really aren't that good on the back end well this is like yeah. totally that what's happening here and that's uh, usually like, not something that you have when it comes to dio yeah band dio the the artist his albums are always very well balanced we the closing tracks or you know you think about falling off the edge of the world is you know at the towards the end of mob rules you've got 
I don't know, his, his albums were always consistently strong and had a nice sort of flow to it. This is the first time where it feels like they just ran out of ideas and they were just, yeah. these are just the last three songs that they, that they came up with. And yeah. so they're not, they're clearly not as good as the others. So they buried them deep in the record, which is, which is a shame. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to get to the end of the record. And the best thing you could do is try to get things. And Dia's done this before, where he would either end on an epic or something that was making you think, wow, I can't wait till the next album. But by the time we get to shoot, shoot, it's like, so glad it's over, (laughs) you know, Uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, I mean, we all we all love Dio. I mean, at the time this album came out, we were Dio fans. But I mean, I don't even think I think the first time I actually I mean, I'm going to say with a lot of confidence that I listened to shoot shoot probably a fraction of the amount of times I listened to anything on side one and the first part of side two. I mean I don't yeah, even well, think I got all the way to to just another day. I think by the time I got to the end of like a beat of a heart I pretty much that that's it. I put it away yeah, and it feels like the album the album ends there. Yeah. All right. Well you mentioned shoot shoot that's the last song on this record. Horrible. I, I think I mentioned this earlier. Yeah it's it's without question my least favorite song from uh, it's just an awful song and it's the everything about it the riff is is so bland uh i can't stand the chorus in it Uh, hearing him sing that it's just it's so and you know ronnie explains and i think he does this in, in the book his book he explains that i guess the record company was pressuring them to do something or come up with it or get the album done by a certain time. And he said something, well, you know, why don't you just point a gun at me and shoot or something? That was the inspiration for the lyrics. But it is so, you know, Ronnie's such an amazing lyricist. The guy that gave us Sign of the Southern Cross, the guy that gave us Heaven and Hell, the guy that gave us Star, Stargazer, uh, the, the, the guy that gave us The Last in Line, uh, yeah. the guy that gave us Rock and Roll Children just four, four or five songs earlier is now singing this. And it just, it sounds so throwaway. It's, I, I, oh, I just, I, this song is a total, total dud for me. It's a total disappointment. To end the album like this, you mentioned this already a few times. It, Ronnie, known for strong album closers with all his bands, Rainbow Eyes, over and over. And, and this is just, yeah. like you said, it's just a band lost for ideas. And they just, just put this, you can just picture them like, uh, just, just put it on there. I just I don't want to listen to it anymore, which just, you know whatever you could just picture somebody yeah, but I don't throw their hands up in the air like I don't know who cares just put it on the record yeah I mean I could see that being the attitude but I don't know that that was his attitude I mean I'm thinking that he liked the song I'm thinking that he like yeah that's yeah that's a good way to well let's end the Uh, let's end the album on a on a high note let's take let's let's put shoot shoot at the end like (laughs) well it sucks what it's an amazing song. <laughs> I can see him really like thinking the song was much better than than it is, but I, I don't know. He's not here to ask, and I didn't read anything about it. But um, to me, it seems like okay. So either this band is going to break up in some in some way where somebody's going to leave because it seems like this this band has run out of steam, run out of ideas, the songs aren't as good as they were in two previous two records 
and um and they've kind of like gotten away from the plot maybe a little bit but you know we, we say we enjoy these or at least i said i enjoyed the lighter fare the the more you know cheesy moments the the feel-good songs but i mean to be realistic it it wasn't part of the original plot uh you don't hear a lot of that on holy diver and you don't really hear any of it on last in line either so it was something that was kind of introduced predominantly on this album and whether it belongs in in the dio uh, body of work i guess is debatable it, it has become a part of his of the of the dio identity um but it, whether or not it really belongs i guess just it depends on who you talk to and it depends on what they've what they've taken away from from dio's music but it seemed like to me this was either going to instigate a long break before another album came out or it was at the very least going to be the last album for this lineup it just seemed like okay even at the time i i kind of got the impression like okay well this is the the third album and the fourth album is probably going to be different there's, there's going to be something yeah, about it was game. time for a change this would have been a good time and we're not going to talk about this this it was classified as an ep we're not going to talk about this on this episode he would go on to release intermission but this would have been a good time for a double live album or a single live album close the chapter on this part of the band have the band a live record buys them a little bit of time to take a breather maybe everybody would have calmed down the vivian and ronnie and the whole band could have maybe sat down and ironed this out but it's it, and vivian talks about this about how all the guys talk about this how ronnie was under a lot of pressure at this time too so not only was there this money issue, Ronnie was under a lot of stress. Things are getting bigger, busier. And like you said, this would have been a perfect time for a live album, everybody to take a break and a break. to either go in a slightly different direction uh, to iron out these personal and money issues that they were having. But alas that didn't happen and depending on who you talk to you know you mentioned where does this land in the do canon depends on who you talk to you know there's some people that'll say that dream evil is most people don't argue with holy diver last in line you know there's some discussion what's your number one usually those are your top two or your top three some people like dream evil better than sacred heart some people are just sacred heart you know the original the original band that was never the same after that but uh you know there's there's no denying then that after dream evil just from a sales standpoint from a touring standpoint from a success standpoint you know the band would start to you know lose its way and lose its lose its stature so yeah it's the sound of a band uh the band desperately in need of a break you know and desperately in need of maybe a, a slight reset here because it, and also it feels like i've mentioned this already it feels like they're starting to uh, re go over some of the same territory you're getting songs that are good but they're not as good as their their weaker versions of sacred heart is a weaker yeah. version of last in line is a weaker version of holy diver you're getting these, these songs where they're retreading some of the same some of the same ground so it was starting to get a little bit stale and with the changing climate 
and music and heavy metal, it would have been a good time for them to take to take a breath and to maybe you could see them moving in a slightly different direction on yeah. the fourth album if they had planned it, you know, the right way. I, I think that at this point I had gotten everything that I, I wanted to, to get from where I could even expect to, to get from the Dio music from the Dio band. I felt pretty, pretty much like, okay, I'm good. Um, this album's fine. I like it. Um, it's not, you know, anything super exciting, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to leave this here and I'm going to go over here and check out some other stuff that, you know, I want to find out more about. And that was like the more aggressive metal and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, thanks. Sacred Heart. We're good. Um, and that's the way I pretty much left the whole Dio thing because, and you know, we're going to get into Dream Evil, but I didn't, I didn't go right from when I, I didn't get Dream Evil when it came out. I went backwards years later and listened to Dream Evil. I was good, man. I didn't, I didn't need to hear. I mean, I saw the album cover. I'm like, okay, a different guitar player. Eh, you know, all right. Craig Goldie saw him live. I'm not so sure how good he's going to be on, you know, in the band writing music. I, I'm good. And I didn't, I didn't check it out for years. So uh, this is where I kind of left Dio. And, you know, a lot of it's largely due to the fact that the, the album sort of just kind of sputters out. I felt like, okay, you know, this is it for me. I'm going to jump off here. And I did. So. All right. Well, there you go. Sacred Heart, uh, the Dio. Uh, definitely a, you know, and, and not only just because of Vivian leaving the band, but it is sort of the end of a, of a chapter here for for Ronnie and and for the band and it's it is an album that it's 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 not unlike uh Born Again with Black Sabbath some of these Black Sabbath albums we're starting to get it uh moving into where there's people that have strong opinions about Sacred Heart there's some people that absolutely love Sacred Heart there's some people that feel kind of the way we do and a little bit indifferent like it but you know we're a little indifferent towards it so it's an interesting album and uh, it's, you know, it's a fun album to, to look at and think about because again, it's a sort of a changing, changing time in heavy metal and changing time for, for Dio, Dio the band. So any final thoughts on Sacred Heart? No, I think I've gotten everything out that I wanted to get out about Sacred Heart. I'm ready to move on to Seventh Star. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> We're going to be, uh, maybe we're making our way here through the Dio, Ozzy, and Black Sabbath catalog, and I believe Seventh Star is our next episode, so make sure you uh, tune in for that. We appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. If you uh, want to hear Darren and I, if, if this isn't enough for you hearing uh, me and Darren talking about uh, Black Sabbath and Black Sabbath-related topics, if you just can't get enough of us or you're curious of uh what 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 are, what we actually look like uh head on over to youtube and look for my youtube channel layer of the alchemist darren and i do a almost weekly uh, thing that we call sabbath sunday where we get together on sundays and discuss various black sabbath and black sabbath related topics so you can check us out there uh thanks again everybody for listening and uh we'll see you at the next one 